Hey everybody, this is a little different than what we normally post on this podcast. This is the sermon podcast for Compass Church. What you're about to hear isn't a sermon at all. It's a teaching that I gave a couple weeks ago called Contradictions in the Gospels. So instead of ignoring differences that may make us squirm, we want to look at those head on and say, okay, what about these so-called contradictions in the Gospels? So it's a little different. I had a lot of fun doing the teaching. We want to do more things like this. So we hope you enjoy and we'll see you Sunday. So when we talk about contradictions in the Gospels, I'm just going to say right out of the gate, I don't believe there are contradictions in the Gospels. Uh, But to kind of clarify that, we do need to talk about what are contradictions. And then we also have to talk about what's a gospel. There's a really famous thing that happened in April about 100 years ago. Uh, There was a cruise ship that left England, I believe, uh, headed for America, and it sank. Uh, And it was called the Titanic. There were many survivors that evening, people who we know were pulled from life from from the water and put on a life raft okay they were there and there were conflicts there were contradictions in witnesses accounts of that event so what's a contradiction a contradiction is is something that this can't be true and this can't be true at the same time so there were some people who we we know they're pulled out of the water and they said The Titanic split in half, and then it sank. And then there were other people who said, no way, it just sank. Okay, those those can't both be true. I don't see a way that both of those things can be true. I don't believe there are contradictions in the gospel like that. There 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 are many things that are different about the gospels, but I don't think there's like, two facts that both of these can't be true. So let me just give you another example of what's not a contradiction. Imagine I am supposed to get uh, lunch with my wife. And I'm like, oh, I can't get lunch today. I'm going to have lunch with Donnie. And she goes, oh, okay, okay. A week goes by and we're hanging out, me and Donnie and Dave. And I'm like, Dave, hey, remember when we got lunch last week? And Amy goes, wait, I thought you got lunch with Donnie. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got lunch with Donnie, and Dave was there too. Did I just lie, and did I contradict myself? I don't think so. There's a ton of that in the Gospels, tons of that. So when we, when we just look, there's a lot of differences, and again, I'm not trying to smooth them all out for you, but when we just start looking at them a little bit closer, we can see, like, okay, Some of these things we can live with, some of these things we can wrestle with. But here's what I ultimately want to land on tonight. Did the Titanic sink? Yes. Did it matter whether or not some of the witnesses got the facts wrong? No. No. I don't believe there's contradictions in the Gospels, and I do believe that the Gospels are trustworthy. But even if there are contradictions in the Gospels, that does not mean Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Just like the Titanic did sink. And so, 
I am firmly, I am very much in the camp of, I love the Bible, I trust the Bible. But let's just say someone said, well, wait, hey, actually, Craig, what you're saying here, this is a contradiction and that's a contradiction. Okay, did Jesus rise from the dead or not? The Titanic still sank, all right? So I really do, I don't want to alarm any of you. I want to say, hey, look, we're going to look at this. This can be tricky, but I still think Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, anybody in here who knows me knows I have three kids, and I love my three kids. And my three kids' names are Jet, Shepard, and Bowie. Now, this evening is being recorded, and imagine a civilization a thousand years from now finds a record of this event. And they're like, wait, stop it, stop the tape. This guy is a liar. He's totally not telling the truth. And you're like, wait, what? why? He said he has three kids. He's got Jet, he's got Shepard, and he's got Bowie. He does, he's a liar. How do you know that? Well, because in our cultural context, when you say how many kids you say, you have to say it in birth order or it doesn't count. Right? We would be like, what? That's ridiculous. Who cares? Right? Like, no, he, he said he has three kids. Like, no, no. And furthermore, Bowie is not his son's real name. So this is a load of malarkey. And you guys would be like, look, that's, that's not the standard by which we're hearing that. We're fine with that. Let's not do that to the Gospels. So the way the Gospels are written, they're, they're, we talked about what's a contradiction. What's a, what is a, bio, a gospel? A gospel is a theological biography. All right, so when we talk about the Gospels, we're talking about theological biographies. Now, some of the best biographies I've ever read, like there's uh, like the Lyndon Johnson biographies, there's a biography on like Teddy Roosevelt that everybody loved, right? Have you, if you've read biographies in the last hundred years, they all have a kind of similar formula, right? For whatever reason, they'll start talking about that person's parents, Right? And you're like, oh, well, why do we need to know so much about his parents? Then in like Lyndon Johnson's biography, there's two whole chapters on soil in East Texas. And you're like, why do I need to know this much about soil in East Texas? And they talk about how his dad had a business and the soil, see, he couldn't be, he couldn't be a farmer because of the soil. I'm like, wow. That's not how the ancients thought about biographies. So Alexander the Great, there's a story that, he, uh, that Plutarch tells about him. He's riding on a boat with his biographer, and the biographer is reading the biography that he wrote to Alexander. And Alexander takes it and he throws it into the, into the water. And he's like, dude, you made up too many great things about me. People aren't going to believe the regular things I did. And it's like, wait, what? Like, there was a lot more creative license that people took back in the day when they were writing biographies that we would be like, uh, I kind of struggle with that. Uh, but again, just like it wouldn't be fair if a culture judged us by their standards from the future, let's not do that to the Bible. How are we doing? Is everybody okay? We're still okay. I want to just talk about a couple examples of that because I think these are where some of us get like nervous when it comes to uh, how the Gospels have differences. Remember, there's, it's, it's different when I say to my wife, hey, uh, I had lunch with Dave. Well, I thought you had lunch with Donnie. Yeah, Donnie was there too, 
right? It's different. It's not a contradiction. There's a ton of these differences. I just want to look at a couple of them. Here's one in John 12, 14. In John 12, 14, uh, this Sunday's Palm Sunday, if you're paying attention to the church calendar. Uh, in John's account of Palm Sunday, Jesus goes out and finds the donkey. Okay, cool. In Mark's account, the disciples go out and find the donkey. Now, if we're thinking through the lens of contradictions and differences, that feels like a contradiction. Like, wait, which one was it, right? Did Jesus go out and find the donkey or did the disciples go out and find the donkey? Uh, There is this thing about ancient biographers where if there's a middle person, like the middleman, uh, and you eliminate the middleman, uh, you do that for the sake of expediency. The gospel does it actually a lot. So uh, there's two, two people send for Jesus. In Matthew 8, the centurion goes and gets Jesus. But in Luke's gospel, the centurion sends elders to go get Jesus to, to say, my son is sick, right? Is it true? Yeah, the centurion sent for Jesus. Well, he sent elders, right? It's that whole Donnie and Dave thing. We're getting information filled out. They're not contradictions. Same thing uh, in Matthew and Mark. There's a woman who sends for Jesus. Her daughter's sick. Well, in, in Mark's gospel, she sends leaders. All right, so there, there are a ton of these in the gospels. And when we are, okay, yeah. Like, we can, we can live with some of those distinctions. Here's another difference, though, right? How many women were at the tomb on, e- on that first Easter Sunday? How many... All of them, just enough. We're getting, yeah. So in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they say multiple. John says one. And so we're like, well, which is it? Are these contradictions? John actually goes out and fills it out later in John 20, 1 through 2. Uh, uh, Mary comes back and she tells the disciples, quote, what we have seen, right? So it's like, okay, I I can hang out with that one. But we don't want to, so what we don't want to do is we don't want to think about these ancient biographies in modern terms. Well, I would write a biography like this. That's not how the ancients thought about it. So the things that make us struggle are not the same things that would make the ancient struggle. So when we think about contradictions, we just have to remember like, if I were to come to your house for dinner and then I got mad at you because you served me salad before dessert, where in my house we do dessert before salad, that's called being rude. So let's not be rude readers of scripture. Let's say, hey, look, this, isn't, this is a cross-cultural and cross-chronological experience, right? This is how the ancients talked about stories. And part of the reason they did that too was because they looked at biographies not like we do. We're like, give me all the facts. That, those type of biographies didn't come into play until about like 500. Uh, in the time of Jesus, people wrote biographies to learn about the character of the person, to emulate the character. And so uh, their main goal wasn't just give me the facts. Right? I've often thought about the Bible. It'd be way more convenient if the Bible was written in like a time where there were cameras and we could just watch the video. Right? Like, Man, it'd be so nice to just like, can we just, is this going to be a Netflix series? Like, let's just watch this rather than read it. But that's some of the wrestling with God is why does Mark say it this way, and why does Luke say it that way? There's intention, I believe, in those differences. 
And, and when we wrestle with those differences, like, okay, so what's Mark trying to communicate? What's John trying to communicate? We start to get at wisdom. Um, I mentioned, and this is just like full disclosure, full disclosure. I mentioned there's one contradiction, perhaps. I'm not comfortable calling it a contradiction because I can see, okay, we can unpack these things. Um, but it's the death of Judas. I just want to read it to you guys, and then I want to take questions at this point. We'll still take questions at the end. But I just want to hear if you guys can hear some of the tension. So this is, Acts is not a gospel, but it's, it's part two of Luke's gospel. So it was originally supposed to be one scroll. And so Acts mentions Judas's death like this. Judas had bought a field with the money he received for his treachery. Falling headfirst there, his body split open, spilling out all his intestines. So this is after he betrays Jesus. He uh, buys a field and then he jumps off a cliff and jumps headfirst, okay? That's how... Luke writes it. Here's how Matthew writes it. Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priests picked up the coins. They decided to use the money to buy the potter's field. So what are some of the differences you guys see in that? Who bought the field? Okay, so there's one. So we got who buys it in Matthew's gospel? The priest, and then who buys it in Acts? Judas. Okay, so that, that feels like a, a difference. What else do you guys see? What is it? How he dies. How he dies. Yeah, so um, in Acts, how does he die? Yeah, he falls head first. And then in Matthew, what does he do? He hangs himself. So, uh, and just in case you're wondering, sometimes we have this like, oh, well, what does the original language say? The original language actually creates the complication because that word head first, uh, and you can, you can, this is free. It literally means head first. Uh, no one really hangs themselves head first. I mean, I don't know how you'd even do that. So you start, I don't have an answer for this. So... What I've hoped I've showed you leading up to this is like, hey, when there are differences, a lot of them can be explained through cultural differences. We tell stories differently, right? So there's different expectations, right? How come, we'll get there too, but like, in, you know, how come Matthew lists Jesus' temptations, he has stones to bread, then Jesus is tempted to jump, then he's tempted to worship the Satan, but Luke says, the Satan first tempts him to turn these stones to bread, then worship the Satan, then jump. He switches two of them. Which one happened, right? We, I can explain that. I, I do not know how to explain Judas's death. Does anyone have any thoughts on that? Or has anyone heard this before? Or even just reading it now, you're like, well, what about this? Yep, that's good. Yeah, it could be the same thing as like Jairus's daughter, where we cut out a middleman, Jairus sends or the elder. Yep, that could be, that could very well be. So, yep, we're, that one doesn't spin us out too much. What about the uh, way in which he died? Yeah. And just, yeah, right. You're, you're, that's right. I may not, so what was said was he, he put a rope around his neck and then he just, you know, like I, you know, I wasn't there. You know, it doesn't have to go the way I imagined it. He could have done something weird, right? Oh. Super good question, Jim. Did everyone hear Jim's question? Was somebody with Judas? So how did anybody know? Yeah, great question. 
Because, yeah, yeah, they have like CSI Jerusalem or something. I'm just like, oh, let's, yeah, let's listen to the who and solve this crime. Like, I don't know. Yeah, so, again, I don't have answers for all these things. But what I am deeply convinced about is that, um, you know, I, even when I moved from New Hampshire to California, there were cultural differences and I didn't even move across time. I just, and I didn't even leave a country, right? There was no language barrier. It's just, I moved, a, like, I'd stay in the same country, and it's like, you guys do what? I was reminded of a cultural difference recently, actually, uh, and you could probably split the room with this, but, like, ketchup and eggs for breakfast. See? Some of you are like, oh! Some of you are like, yeah, that's how you eat eggs. So, like, we're not even, like, divided by time or even geography, but there's, there are differences in how we do things. So when you go back 2,000 years and across the world, of course there's going to be differences. So I'm okay leaving some of these to mystery to say, I don't know what happened there, but I, I'm trusting there's a difference. Yeah. Let's go to one, though. Let me just give you an example. Uh, can somebody please turn in their Bible to Matthew 1.7? I wanted to show you an example of like, why the Judas thing doesn't spin me out so much. Uh, and it's because of Matthew 1-7. This is, I think, like a quintessential example of cultural differences in how we do history. And when you get it, just read it as loud as you can. Matthew 1-7. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Oh, you know what? Probably not seven. That doesn't sound... <laughs> Let's say maybe 17. Yeah, 17. There we go. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon, to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. Thank you, Scott. Okay, so in case you couldn't hear that, uh, all the generations from Abraham to David are how many? 14. Okay, does everyone understand what that means? So that means like one person had a kid, then the next person, and there's 14 people, okay? Then from David to, what is it, the exile, 14. Then from the exile to Christ, 14. Okay, everybody tracking with that? That's not true. How do I know that? The book of Chronicles has four more generations in some of those brackets. Now, what do we do with that? Uh, in Hebrew... The way that you, uh, you write, there, there was a, there, in, in antiquity in Hebrew, the way that you would write numbers was with letters. And so it gets really confusing sometimes. So if you were writing uh, a number, you'd use letters. Kind of like, we've kind, like, kind of like Roman numerals. Does anybody, like when they show a movie and it's trying to look like vintage and cool, it'll say like MCXV and you're trying to like figure out like when. Now it's easy, right? Because it's just like MMXXII and you're like, oh, okay. That's kind of, but like, you know, when there's like C's and D's, you're trying to figure it out. Okay, so 14 is a, a, a significant number in, in Israel's history, okay? Because four plus six plus four equals... 14. Okay, now try to track with me. Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet is four. Four. So Dalet is the fourth letter, okay? That's where we get the four. Okay, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, Hey, Wow. That's how many? Six. six. Great. Okay, so four plus six, what are we at so far? 
Okay, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, four. Uh, what did we just spell? David. So uh, Matthew's gospel is, uh, the theme of it is that Jesus is the new David. Matthew makes a really big deal that David was born where? I mean, Jesus was born where? Bethlehem. Who was also born in Bethlehem? David. And so even out of the genealogies, he's spelling David a bunch. Now, if you're writing like a biography on, you know, a famous president and you took liberties like that, people would be like, this is not a biography. But again, we don't want to judge them by our standards. This is, he's, think of portraits. All right, if, you, if you've ever seen, I, uh, we were just in Arkansas. They need to like totally change their branding. Like it, there's a lot of exciting things happening in Arkansas, all right? But there's this really great museum that we were in. And I remember there was like a portrait of this like very rich person who I think was like a military leader and there's uh, a war going on behind him. Okay. Can, I don't know if you've ever been, lived in a war. I, I think Monet did and he, he talked about how he, he would try to, it was far away and he would paint and he would just cry because it was so hard to be artistic near so much destruction. Okay. There's a war going on in your backyard. You're like, hey, hey, paint this. Right? Like this is cool, right? Paint this. No, no one did that. No one thought Oh, they did this painting when there was a battle. They, no, they're trying to say, hey, this, this person was a general and war was a part of their life. They had a dog because uh, they were probably good at business. You're like, what? Yeah, that's a thing, right? So like they're trying to communicate, hey, here's a thematic thing that's very important about Jesus's life. He's the king, all right? And for a lot of us, it can be like, wait a minute, what? I want to talk about this one. Does anybody have the, the order of the temptations? Uh, does this trip anybody up? Does anybody, anyway, what? How do we deal with this? Not significant. Okay, so this is a good, I, let me put words in your mouth. Tell me if I'm in the right ballpark. It doesn't really change a lot of the meaning of the story, so I'm cool with it. Would that be fair to say? Fair, fair to say. Okay, anybody, that's their perspective. We can change the or the temptation. It doesn't change the big picture. I'm cool. Okay, anybody like, I don't like that. Yep. That is there, so is there a thematic reason why Matthew might put it in a certain order and a thematic reason why Luke might put it in a certain order? Mr. Mr. Rod? I think I'm struck with just the legitimacy of the word order. Is that, a, is that a, an imposed Oh, yeah. So maybe we're, I think what Rod's saying is maybe we're in the wrong for saying, well... Right, so it's kind of like with my three kids, right? Like, you got three kids, these are the three temptations. Yeah, that, yeah, there you go. That could be it. All right, so it, nobody's decided to burn their New Testaments because of this. Okay, let me try to explain how, so uh, what Corey started to describe is what I think is happening with Matthew's gospel. So stones to bread, jumping, and then worshiping the Satan uh, the language of that, I believe, mimics the temptation that the original man and woman received in the garden. So you're like, stones to bread, they ate fruit, jump. Uh, there was a, the, a lot of people comment on that original event. They call it the testing. And so that, that whole theme of jumping is about don't test the Lord and then worship the Satan. Uh, that's what sa the Satan was ultimately after in the garden as well. So a lot of throughout church history, people have seen like Jesus is saying, 
not only, Matthew is saying, not only is Jesus the new David, he's also a new Adam. So where David failed, whoa, this new and better David's coming. Where Adam failed, whoa, this new and better Adam is, ha- is coming. Luke, on the other hand, uh, is actually just writing it like it happened. And he, Luke actually says that. In Luke 1.3, he says, uh, basically Theophilus was like his, uh, I don't know, his like patron, you could call it. And so he writes his patron to kind of explain. He says, I too, so a lot of people have written about Jesus, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. And an orderly account, again, the original language helps us here, literally means an orderly account in the order that it happened. And so uh, Luke talked to eyewitnesses, got the story straight. And so if you're like, well, how did it happen? Uh, Luke just tells us. This is the order it happened. And Matthew is, again, these are theological biographies. Matthew's trying to paint a portrait. Very quick. So let's, let's throw it out to the, to, I think he's calling you hornets. Um, so Corey's question was, how does this play out with inspiration? So, it, it, you know, if the Bible is inspired, which, you know, just full disclosure, I believe. Uh, if the Bible is inspired, what does that mean for when one gospel writer says one thing, another says another, or let me give you another example. Uh, in the book of Judges, uh, they give a date for the Exodus, and in the book of Kings, they give a totally different date. And so what is inspiration? How does it play into that when this is a book from God? I'm so curious to hear your thoughts, and then we'll see where that goes. Yes, so I'm, I'm going to restate what Alice said. So the Bible is both a divine book and a human book. So if I wrote, if God, if I lived back then and God commissioned me to write and God commissioned Corey to write, they'd be different because Corey and I are different people. So we don't erase the person from it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really good. So um, love that answer. Home run, home run. I think I just, I want to give just a couple like rays of hope as we head out of here. Today I grabbed my fun Bible and I read this, just the strangest thing. And I just want to read part of it to you. Um, here we go. I'll just read it to you. Here we go. I want to leave you with this. This is from Luke's gospel. So Luke 16. This is, a, this is Luke's spiritual biography. All right, here we go. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came that that manager was wasting his employer's money. Okay, so you get, you get what's going on. There's like some entrepreneur. He's got a middleman. Bad, bad news bears, okay? So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you're going to get fired. All right, so he's given his notice. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man said, I owe 800 gallons of olive oil. Even by today's standard, if someone owes you 800 gallons of olive oil, that's a lot. All right. So the manager told him quickly, ah, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. And how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next one. I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here. The manager said, take the bill and change it to 800. This is what Jesus says about this. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it's true. 
that the children of this world are much more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. Here's the lesson, all right? This is Jesus talking. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. What? (laughs) What in the world? Did Jesus just tell me to be shady? Like, what's happening here? When we read the Gospels, and we, you, if you're not encountering things that make your head scratch, just keep reading, all right? Here's my concern, though, is that we are like, man, I want to read the Bible. We read, we're like, oh, and we give up. The ancients respected teachers who were hard to understand. In the story of the Old Testament, there's a, there's a guy called Samson, and Samson keeps telling all these riddles, and the leaders of the town are like, yeah, just you know, tell us what they mean. And so remember, I think Leonard Cohen wrote a song about it. Uh, he gets his girlfriend, Delilah. She like tricks him to telling the riddles. Because if you had riddles, that was status, right? So Jesus tells this thing, like, I have no idea what that means. That's super confusing. In that cultural context, Jesus was establishing status as a really good teacher. Now, I'm sure there's a very clear explanation for it, but I'm just trying to lay a foundation of like, either God is good or he's not. And so we can't just say something that's not good is good, right? This is, that's great, you know, go lie and steal from your employer. Jesus said so. Wait a second. And that's, I think, come bringing it back to that whole idea of like, let's be, let's be the children of Israel. Let's wrestle with God. Like, God, this does not make sense and I don't get it. And he's honored by the wrestling. Um, so I, I, that's one way to land it. I think the other way is like community. Like we, we have a course that it's on our YouTube channel. It's called, uh, what is the Bible? And it's just meant to give you just the 30,000 foot overview of like the fence posts. So like when you do read it, it's meant to be like, okay, I just read this. Well, I know it can't mean this way over here because that's not who God is. And you need those fence posts as you read because you're going to read stuff that's really going to spin you out. And if you just have those fence posts, okay, I got this. So just like, I would just commend that to you. We're going to keep working with that material. Like, I really believe in it. We're going to try to make it more classes and we're going to try to make, put it into like a, a more digestible format. But right now, if you head to our YouTube channel, it's there. And the second way, honestly, the, the, third, the third just hope I want to give you is like, if um, the Bible's already hard enough to understand, if you're reading a version that you just don't like reading, get a new one. Um, We spiritualize versions of the Bible. Um, The King James is beautiful. Amy and I were talking about this last night. It's beautiful language. There's a preface in the first edition where the translators said, this must be updated as language changes. Um, So uh, I pledged thee my troth. I know it's not a verse, but I don't know what that means. Uh, But you've probably heard it. It's in wedding vows. Okay. Why do we say it, right? Uh, what was Nixon's aide who said, uh, the, uh, what, uh, it was something like currently in the present situation. Just say now. <laughs> Just say now. Uh, find a Bible you like to read. Find one that's clear. Uh, I really like this, but if you like another one, great. Just find one that you like that works with you. So, and don't do it alone. Just like, I really think this book is worth giving your life to. Um, because one of the things my friend did tell me, I'll close with this, uh, John 1, Jesus, uh, he talks about the true light 
uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The true light which shines on all men. I was like, what does that mean? He goes, oh, he's the Word, and the Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. I was like, oh, where were you like three weeks ago, bro? <laughs> so just hang in there, and we want to be a community together that's orienting our lives around this book, and it is a wrestle.